Hey, Keurig coffee drinkers. Did you know that the bold, smooth taste of Dunkin' cold coffee can be brewed in your Keurig coffee maker and enjoyed at home? Dunkin's cold K-cup pods were crafted to be brewed hot and enjoyed cold. And of course, they're packed with the Dunkin' flavor you crave. Brew over ice and sip in seconds. Because the home with Dunkin' is where you want to be. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. So this week, the National Park Service celebrated their 105th anniversary, which is great. And in that spirit, Alyssa... What is the coolest wild animal encounter or sighting that you have had at a national park? Um, okay, so I've been to many national parks, but I've never been to Glacier National Park. And I would love to see the bighorn sheep at Glacier National Park. I'd also like to see a grizzly bear at Yellowstone. Those are my two big ones. So I saw a grizzly bear at Yellowstone. It was <gasps> crazy. Yeah, I was, I was like maybe nine or 10. My family was there on vacation and um, there was this traffic jam. All the cars were stopped and everyone was kind of like looking, you're looking around to see what it was. And it was a huge fucking bear run, like running down a hillside, ran across the, the road in front of us. It was scared. It was not a bear that was like, all right, people. It was a bear that was like, right. get me the fuck. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. So, which is good because bears are supposed to be afraid of people when they're not afraid of people. They quickly connect the dots that we're very edible and not that fast. Um, so this bear runs down across the road in front of all the cars, huge bear, like goes down a bank on the other side of the road, gets into a lake on the other side of the road and swims across it. Shut up. He was like, he was like decathloning. He was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was almost like comedic because it was like, I, I need to get away from these people so far that I'm going to like go across various terrains to do it. And then when he- you could hear him say, zoink, scoop, try to run. <laughs> exactly. And then when it got to the other side of the lake, it got out and it just kept running. It was like, uh-uh, I'm, I'm out of here. He's like, wrong turn, wrong turn. <laughs> that was like how I felt, I think, the first time I uh, visited South Dakota as an adult. I was like, get me out of here. This week, Dana Schwartz and Kieran Deal join to tackle the following questions. Who still thinks that messing with Nancy Pelosi is a good idea? What traditions has COVID interrupted or changed? And was it time for some of them to go? And who just got a new kitten? All this and more right now. Okay, we've got a lot of news to get to today, and it's not nearly as annoying as it usually is. Which is so no, it's 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 is it lighthearted? I don't even know. I you know it's funny because lighthearted seems appropriate, but then when you think about it, like this first news item we're gonna talk about is something that could change hundreds of millions of people's lives. Literally hundreds of millions of people's lives for the better. Um, is that lighthearted or is that just like exciting? Maybe it's aspirational. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Since it hasn't happened entirely yet, we'll call it aspirational. Right. Well, I think every step of the process that we get closer to it, I just feel elated. So I think my big takeaway from the news events of this week in uh, Congress was uh, when you come for Nancy Pelosi, you best not miss. <laughs> 
Um, she is, you know, before we do this, I have to remind everyone that when I tried to join the roller derby in Washington, D.C., I was going to do so as Nasty Pelosi because I figured no one would ever beat me with that nickname. <laughs> I mean, is there is there a more effective legislative leader in our generation or ever? And uh, I, I think that history will probably remember her as one of the most effective legislative leaders in American history. There's, I hope someday there's a book as big as Masters of the Senate about <laughs> all the things that Nancy Pelosi did. Yeah. So here's what she recently did. Right now, there are two bills that kind of are the backbone of Joe Biden's agenda. Right. And one of them is infrastructure, uh, an infusion of funds for infrastructure that should have happened, you know, over the last generation, but didn't. And so now we're really behind the eight ball. The infrastructure, hard infrastructure stuff needs to happen. So we're talking like roads, bridges, broadband, that sort of thing. The other piece of that is the $3.5 trillion budget resolution that includes like revolutionary things for the American people that we already should have. Um, paid family leave is in there. Guaranteed paid family leave. Um, so if this gets passed, take that Papua New Guinea. I've had yeah. about enough of your cockiness. Leaving you in our dust. <laughs> yeah, we will be no longer one of only two countries left in the world that does not have paid leave. There's uh, also uh, universal pre-K stuff in there. There's a ton of stuff in the $3.5 trillion budget resolution. I want to specifically tease out the family leave thing because I think we're not talking about it. Not me and you, because we talk about this stuff all the time. Yeah. But I'm talking about our, our national media is not talking about this enough. How specifically huge it could be for everybody in the U.S. Like when we say family leave, uh, it's not just for people with kids. Right. It's for people, people with parents, people with spouses that might get sick. Um, it's for people who have to take care of a disabled family member. It's it's anybody that might need to take leave to help care for somebody. And the fact that it's part of this three point five trillion dollar package that just got advanced yesterday is really impressive. I was a little nervous about it um, when at the beginning of the week, a group of 10 moderate Democrats who call themselves the problem solvers caucus, <laughs> but really could just call themselves the problem. Um, the only problem they have ever solved are open slots on CNBC. Like that is, <laughs> that is the extent of it, to be quite honest. Yeah. So the problem caucus uh, wrote an op-ed, I think, in the Washington Post about how heroic they were for for demanding that infrastructure with the care part of um, the Biden plan teased out should be passed on its own. Anyway, uh, they all fell in line on Tuesday. They all voted for the three point five trillion dollar budget reconciliation package that Pelosi needed them for. And uh, so now that's advancing. And now Pelosi has also pledged to vote for the separate infrastructure bill they have uh, promised to vote for by September 27th, which means that we now have like a kind of good idea for a timeline for when this is either going to get done or not or get not. done. Yeah. So, Alyssa, what do you make of the events of Tuesday that happened in Congress? And are you optimistic that this is actually going to happen? <laughs> I mean, the events of Tuesday were just, you know, to quote 
to quote the movie St. Elmo's Fire, they were a self-created melodrama. I mean, this was like not necessary. The Democrats, like, like if Democrats are in power and they're not going to govern like they're in power, and I mean like we have the Senate, the House, and the, and the presidency, like what are we doing? Which I think was the source of a lot of the yelling at the closed door caucus meeting yesterday when I think it was reported that Steny Hoyer said that what the problem solvers caucus was doing was mutually self-assured destruction. Um so look, this is a budget blueprint that they voted on. So they still have to figure out the actual budget of this $3.5 trillion plan. And that's going to take a lot of work. That's going to take a lot of work. It brings our friends, Joe Manchin and uh, Senator Cinema back into the fold. And I think we know it's going to take a lot, but I think that we got this far. It's still... Uh, it still shows and continues to demonstrate that uh, Nancy Pelosi, when she wants something, she usually figures out a way to get it done. Yeah. So I hope she's having double chocolate ice cream for breakfast this morning. This, if she didn't have it with a side of brownies, I don't know who has deserved it more. But, you know, the whole thing, the, the whole problem solvers caucus, it was essentially a tantrum that they threw. And... I guess what they got for it was a sort of date certain, in theory, non-binding of, of voting on September 27th. So we'll see. One thing that I have been keeping an eye on that I enjoy seeing is the fact that Bernie Sanders, budget chairman in the Senate, has been out like hitting the ground, selling this plan and trying to explain to people in Trump districts in Democratic districts wh why it's so important. And I think that that is something that the Democrats really have to get right in the next couple of weeks is explaining to the American people that literally this helps every single person. Like, like we have to wipe Donald Trump from our brain where he literally only tried to pass bills that that, imp that impacted people who voted for him. This will help everybody. And Democrats have to do a really good job of making that clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think another thing that I've seen in this whole process that's really encouraging is in the past, I think when there are these big ideas that are bandied about on Capitol Hill, the first people whose needs are on the chopping block are the people whose needs are the most urgent. Right. Like, uh, single parents, you know, people of color, you know, very poor women, you know, all of these, their needs are always the ones that everyone feels like it's fine to bargain away. Um, because I don't think those people are necessarily the ones that are giving the most money or writing the biggest checks to the people that are casting the votes. And as cynical as that sounds, um, I'm saying that to make a point about where we are right now, because we have people like Pramila Jayapal of, uh, Washington, you have people like Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts who are absolutely like latched onto this and will not let go. Yeah. Like they the fact that uh, that that policy changes that benefit women and families and people who are among the most vulnerable uh, economically, the fact that their priorities are not on the chopping block and will not be because there are people who are in office right now who are just like, that is not going to happen. I find that very encouraging. And maybe I haven't been paying enough attention up until, you know, the last 10 years or something, <laughs> but I don't think, I don't think I've seen this level of public commitment from so many powerful politicians before. And I find that, I find that very encouraging. I agree. 
I agree. I think it's it's also too, if there's a lesson that we learned the last four years, is that like being chill isn't gonna get things done. And no. I appreciate their leadership on this. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're trying to accomplish something new, eventually you have to let go of trying to be cool. Right. Because being earnest is just not cool. But that's okay. Like, that's okay. You just need to be earnest and committed to stuff. And it's it's exciting to see um, so many people in positions of power. I mean, totally. Corey Bush also putting herself out there. Like, it's so cool to see that, you know, and, and note that most of these people are, you know, women and people of color and new people to Congress. And I, I find what they're doing really exciting. And I actually do feel hopeful about this. I feel hopeful that, you know, the revolutionary changes that are being proposed by the Biden administration, like this is the chance to get them done. And listeners, I want to I want to put this out there. If this matters to you, now is the time to speak up about it and not just like writing letters and calling your congressperson because that's that's not that fun. But like start talking to your friends. You know, if you have friends that have had a hard time getting leave when they've had a baby or they have aging parents or they have any need that is among the needs that Democrats have promised to address in this package, like talk to your friends and get them excited about this and get them communicating with their elected representatives and their friends. Because if people are paying close enough attention, there is no way this fails. That is true. And Aaron, while we are talking about it, I think that, you know, over the past year, we've talked about it, especially, especially through the election, about how, you know, Republicans tried to make it a thing and progressives sort of took the bait a little bit. And it was like, if you get elected, will you support Nancy Pelosi? And I know there's a lot of people who have been saying, who have said in the past, you know, she's been there forever. It's time for her to go. I mean, it's hard to imagine this would have gotten done without the tactician of Nancy Pelosi-ness. I mean, it's so hard to imagine that anybody else know, would have known how to fucking lock this bitch down yesterday and she did it. And, you know, we all want new blood in politics and it's so necessary, but let's also not forget that there are some pretty bad bitches uh, still out there. Yeah. Like getting it done. Yeah. I kind of, my, I completely agree with what you just said. Another thought that I had was how, how did she do this? She also got the John Lewis Voting Rights Act I know. passed the House, yeah, uh, which it's it's probably not going to pass the Senate, but she got it done in the House. And my thought was like, I really want there to be like a Nancy cam. I want her to wear a necklace that has a camera on it. So I can be I'd like, how die. are you, fu- how are you doing? How are you doing this? Like, what are you saying? Who are you talking to? In what order? Like, people should study her, how she leads that caucus. Because if you take a look at everyone else who has tried to lead any caucus over the last 15 years, they have looked very bad at it compared to her. Totally. Um, Like it is clearly a hard job and she's clearly really good at it. And a lot of people who consider themselves smart and have a lot of confidence have tried and not been able to do it. So I I need a Nancy cam. I need to know how she's doing it. Um, And, you know, like, Again, we've talked about Pelosi as, you know, she is, she's been there for a long time. Some of her views on some issues are not as progressive as, as my personal views. Same. And I would like to see her, you know, kind of grow a little bit 
in those specific areas. But this was a real victory for progressives this week. Um, it was a victory for anybody who is like a, a Bernie supporter or perhaps mm-hmm. a Bernie rising. Um, <laughs> if you didn't, if you didn't vote for him in, in the primaries, anybody who supports pro- a progressive agenda, this is, this was a win. And Nancy Pelosi was on your side this week. So it's really, really cool to see. Um, let's transition to a less cool story. Um, we'll talk wah. about the COVID story in, in Southern States. So here's, you know, in Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, Florida, I'm an Arkansas, I've heard, and possibly Missouri, there are they're facing issues with a shortage of beds in ICUs. Uh, people who have non-COVID related problems are having to wait a really long time to get into hospitals because hospitals are clogged up with people who not only have COVID, but they have COVID and did not get a vaccine that was widely available and free. So We've talked about this before. I've sort of run out of real like patience for this. This is causing like systemic problems that affect. I mean, COVID patients don't under uh, people who will not get the COVID vaccine seem to not understand that they their actions affect other people, regardless of whether or not they want them to. Like there is no living in a fantasy world where you just get to do whatever you want and that doesn't affect other people. And like they seem to they they like don't make the connection like, oh, so like if I cough and someone catches a germ that affects other people, it's just a whole thing. But here's something I was thinking about. So southern states, Texas, Mississippi, Arkansas, um, Alabama, et cetera, a lot of times you see laws kind of matriculating through those state houses that would allow medical practitioners to invoke conscience clauses Mm -hmm. to not provide care for people. And these laws are made specifically with abortion and birth control in mind. Uh, Pharmacists uh, have the right in some places to legally like not prescribe or give out like plan B because they don't agree with it, which is like, I, I think those laws are crazy, but here's something that I was wondering, could a state with, conscience clauses on the books. Could a doctor working in that state be like, I'm just not going to accept any more COVID patients for un- who are unvaccinated into my hospital because it's against my beliefs. That is a half joking question, but I seriously wonder. Wait, but Aaron, is it really like, it kind of makes total sense. I mean, it makes total sense that it could be applied in that instance, right? I mean, why not? Why not? And it's more like it's more like, based in fact than belief in that that Plan B causes abortion because Plan B medically does not cause abortion. Correct. That is a non-fact that people are basing actions on. But not getting the vaccine causes serious COVID, which causes hospital backups, is something that is back, backed up by actual fact. Which so, also, you know, this is the drum I like to beat weekly, is that not only that. But also these people who won't get vaccinated continue to spread the virus. And you know what? If you didn't believe it before, guess what? The Delta variant is way fucking worse than original COVID-19. So if it keeps spreading, chances are that Delta Plus or Epsilon or Lambda, whichever the next variant is that takes hold, is going to be way fucking worse. And the way that it has gotten worse and worse is that it affects children a lot worse now than the COVID-19 original strain did. So I just like, I just, I fucking feel like they can, they can invoke the clause, Aaron, because this is actually doing a lot of damage to a lot of people, including little tiny people. How can people look in the mirror and be like, you know what, like my personal freedom, but I, and I don't care if 
kids, I don't care if kids get sick. I don't care if this makes it worse and worse for them. I don't care if I'm like robbing them of their childhood because they can't do fun things because I want to have my freedom and not get vaccinated. Yeah. The whole mindset doesn't really make any sense. There were new numbers out yesterday, uh, surveying different groups of people, um, about like, about who's getting vaccinated, who's not getting vaccinated. And I think it's important to point out that in conservative media, there have been news stories bandied about that the people to blame for not being vaccinated are anybody but the whites. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but the fact is the people least likely to get vaccinated are still white rural conservatives. And uh, they're the ones that are fucking it up for everybody and white suburban people too. Um, and white people without co- like Trump voters essentially. Um, and so, you know, I hate pointing fingers, but the fingers, like all of the fingers are pointing at an ideology that is like actively harmful. That is a, a problem. It's exactly. And it's an ideology that continues to shift, right? It's not like they're fucking mm-hmm. steadfast in their beliefs for months. They've been saying, you know, if it were FDA approved, it were, if it were mm-hmm. FDA approved, we would, we would get the vax, but it's like not FDA approved. And now you've got Marjorie Taylor fuckface out there. Who's like, um, Joe Biden probably personally called and got it approved. And it's like, girl, <laughs> what are you even talking about? You are so dumb. She is so dumb. And like, she doesn't even know it. Like, she's just so fucking stupid. And also, like, well, okay, it took this long. First, it was taking too long to get approved. Now it's approved. And now they're like, well, what about Moderna and Johnson and Johnson? It's like, oh my God, you guys are actually the fucking worst. They're the worst. Just get the one that's approved. You know, uh, I want to read it. I know. And it's and it's no, at no cost to you, the American taxpayer. Um, yeah, I, I think my feelings about the FDA approval and the moving of the goalposts were best summed up by a writer named Mikkel Jollett, who is uh, he wrote a really great memoir last year that I really loved. Uh, but he tweeted, so glad all the people worried about the regression analysis of both the efficacy and safety outcome data wouldn't remain robust after taking into account selection bias and the negative impact of the statistical outliers can finally breathe the sigh of relief. Exhausting. <laughs> these, I mean, these people don't care about no. science. They just care about holding on to whatever like little strands of their belief system that they can to weave a carpet of bullshit. Um, I did think that one thing was very funny this week. I know that like the tragedy of COVID is not funny. The people that are going to the hospital and being like, I didn't think I would get sick and then getting sick. That's not, that's, that's sad. Like there are people who, who love those people who are going to miss those people. There are medical workers that are completely fucking tapped out and have had enough. And those people, we have already asked too much of them. You know, I agree. I, I, I Hand, a feel, million times feel, over. I feel terrible for the for people who are are stuck cleaning up this mess. It's just, it's not fair. Um, but what is funny is that uh, several members of the the panel that were supposed to perform the final Arizona audit had to not turn in the results of the Arizona audit because they all got COVID. Oh, sad trombone. <laughs> the cyber ninjas, the cyber ninjas got COVID. We're not, we're um, not laughing that they got COVID. Just they got COVID. <laughs> we're laughing at the, at the narrative structure of this. Yes. Thank you. Know, you. It thank is, you for making me not an is, asshole. N- 
Right. It is narratively very predictable, yet also sort of like, yeah, this would happen on Succession. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> totally. If Succession were Veep. Right, right. Exactly. Succession plus Veep. Um, Succession is back in October, by the way. How excited. I can't wait. I can't wait either. Um, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we have our panel together. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love that for Viore. You know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. (laughs) It is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. (laughs) Five stars. No comment. 100% great. That's the type. That's my favorite sport. The new, the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging, which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. I love these leggings. They are, because you know, like not everybody's the same, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like, I need a little bit more room around my booty. So I size up a little bit, but then it's it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just, just pull that drawstring. And I don't show show any crack when I bend over. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. (laughs) (laughs) For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there, and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh, my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to, won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. And welcome back. So all of our lives have been pretty disrupted by COVID over the course of the last year and a half. I feel like we've been saying it's been a year and a half for like half a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. 100, past, uh, 100 years. <laughs> the past 10,000 fortnights. It needs um, to be its own <laughs> unit of, of time. Yeah. Like a Scaramucci. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, like, it, it's a COVID and we're it, in the middle of it. We're in the middle of one COVID. We don't know how long a COVID <laughs> is. We have to just wait till the end and then that unit of time will be used to demarcate an intolerable amount of drudgery. Um, I want to talk about the ways that COVID has disrupted traditions that maybe were reaching the end of their usefulness anyway. 
Um, and so to do that, I'm bringing in two women who everyone who's listening probably knows. And if they don't know, they should. And they will love them once they do. First, she is an actor, writer and director, Kieran Deal. Kieran, I have a, a icebreaker question for you this week. Oh, wow. Tell me everything or anything. Okay. There's no wrong answers. I love is, things that are free. Is God a woman? <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Um I think God is genderless. I don't think that there's a gender on God. Okay. Well, that's a serious Harvardy answer for a question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. Sorry. Give it to me again. Give it to me again. <laughs> okay. No, Judith Butler, we're moving on. Um, <laughs> up next, she is a writer and author of books, Dana Schwartz. Hi, Dana. Hi. Thank you for having me. Uh, same question for you. Is God a woman? Uh, if Ariana Grande is to be believed, and that's who I'll cite. So, yes. You think, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Noted gender Noted. scholar. Ariana yeah. Re- religious scholar, Ariana Grande, PhD. <laughs> I, I consulted the works of Kant and Grande and concluded that, yes, God is a woman. Um, I was thinking, you know, I've been looking at a lot of charts of, of human anatomy just to be like, what's happening to me? And um, I saw an animation the other day of like what happens inside of a, a pregnant body, like when the baby grows and your organs are like, whoa, wait, ah, well, it's like they're in a subway car and like a group of school children is like pushing its way in sort of. Anyway, I came to the conclusion that God is a woman. But God is the kind of woman who's like, I had to go through it. So, so do you. She's a ladder puller. <laughs> She's a ladder puller. Yeah. She's a ladder oh, puller. Damn. Yeah. God, God's like, you know what? It's part of it's part of the, the job. This is something that I had to do. So now you have to do it. You know, not to get all biblical, but like the fact that the pain of childbirth was considered punishment for Eve feels very oh. ladder pulling. <laughs> So I yeah, feel like that is totally my boss it. would do. <laughs> um, okay. God, God got them titties. <laughs> God, God, whatever. I'm not even going to talk about God's boobs. Um, let's let's move on to, to the to what we are going to talk about, which is traditions being interrupted and possibly changed forever by COVID. Um, and Dana, one of the reasons I'm really excited you're here, one of the many reasons I'm really excited you're here is because you are about to be a sort of like end of COVID, post-COVID bride. Well, knock on wood that it's going to be post-COVID. Right. That's true. One- <laughs> is really the dream. Yeah. I, it was sort of lucky. My now fiance proposed to me like in that brief glorious window when it seemed like things were opening up again. Oh, do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember that golden period of, of three and a half weeks? Yeah. That was, that was when they put all the billboards up that were like, now your mask is off. You can do all this stuff. And it's like those billboards are still up because ad buys are longer than three weeks. It was just, yeah. um, I just, you know, you and I have kind of talked about this, like the wedding industry is like insane. And um, I just was wondering if there are any like traditions that you've seen or you've, you've like participated in, in other people's weddings or celebrations that now that you're planning your own, you're realizing you don't have to because everything has, things have changed. You know, I was actually thinking about this and I feel like 
truly it's like the opposite in that the the few things that I did really want to do with my own wedding are harder because of COVID. Like my two sisters and my mom are both in Chicago. And like a lot of the things that I would want to do just like with them, travel is harder. And so everything is harder. And also I've been trying on wedding dresses and you have to keep your mask on while you try on dresses. And that's just a, a, a that's hassle. That's so awful. Yeah. You're like, well, okay, I, my, I, how do I know how I look? I can't see most of my face. I don't know if I'm smiling or not. Um, <laughs> I, so it's like, I was never big on like any big wedding things. And like, so the few things I did want, which is like my family around me and being able to shop for a wedding dress while being able to see my full face, uh, COVID fucked those up, which I'm not happy about. Yeah. Um, Kieran, have you noticed like any interruptions in traditions that you're sort of like, you know what, actually, I think that tradition can go ahead and die. Well, as a stand-up comedian who does live performance with a microphone, I really hope that tradition doesn't die. You know, I hope that the indoor <laughs> tradition of people being in a low ceiling place together and packed in to breathe on each other with their heart space, I hope that that continues to be a thing as we move forward in the planet. Um, but I guess other than that, it's like, no, I I miss the community stuff. I think it's like what Dana was saying. It's like, I miss this. I I, I always say like I'm such a curmudgeon and I, you know, Nosferatu and I hate people. But then it's like when they all go away, then you're like, oh, well, I suppose I missed all of that. You know, I, I miss being annoyed with you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I was never a stand-up performer, but I always liked going to performances and it's like not the same to watch a performance as it is to like physically be there. Like there's an energy that you miss out on as an audience member that you just can't, you can't, can't get as if you're watching like Bo Burnham's inside or whatever. Just um, the get the gathering, the community of gathering. It's like, yes, you might be able to lose some of the like micro intricacies of like, you know, the wedding industry that's charging gazillions of dollars and making brides feel like shit. But it's like, it's the shared it's like the shared ability to celebrate something together, whether that's like a birthday or a baby shower, whatever it is, it's like to celebrate it together. What makes it special is the people. And like, that's the part that we're all kind of suffering from. So it's like that, that thing where you get to gather with people and it feels like a warm hug. My birthday was in that little interim and I got to see a bunch of people outside and I was like, oh, what is that feeling in my heart that isn't dead anymore? Why is there a little flicker of light? What is that? Oh, is that love? <laughs> You also don't know the full joy of coming home and sitting on the couch with like a glazed look on your eye, scrolling, you know, Twitter on your phone until you have to contrast that with being mm, at a busy bar mm. of people. The true joy of sitting at home needs the the contrast so you can fully appreciate it. Totally. Um, Alyssa, you started a new job during this whole time. Um, how has work changed? Like being in an office type environment. How has that changed for you um, pre-COVID to post or to like mid-COVID? You guys, I, I hate to, I feel like I'm once again sort of plowing territory as the oldest woman in the circle right here, but fucking give me this alone time. I may never be able to go back. You know what? You know, one tradition I'm fine is gone. The power woman dinner. Okay. Those dinners were insufferable and <laughs> I am, 
the, I haven't talked to half the people I ever used to sit with at those dinners. So I'm fine just being a lonely middle-aged woman up in the sticks working from Zoom and having her interactions currently confined to the local farm stand. I have won her over. She was very tough. And now the owner of the <laughs> meanest, meanest, formerly meanest farm stand sees me coming and says, Hey, Alice, what are we doing today? I'm like, I have one. This is more important than <laughs> any power broker in New York wanting to sit next to me at a dinner. Um, but for work, you know, I think that I had really worked so much for so many years that being able to do something that's remote and still have a little bit of freedom. I mean, it doesn't mean that I work any less hard, but being able to, you know, work out in the middle of the day for an hour. Um, it's, I like it, you guys, I like how it is now. I'm, I'm afraid when it goes back, I don't want to get back on an airplane. I'm like, I may have Stockholm syndrome. That may be what this is, but it's where I am. Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to, I think a lot of people have thought really long and hard about the work, the way that we used to do work and how much we used to require people to be in the same place to do work. And it all kind of falls apart if you think about it very much. It seems like it was designed by a bunch of like men who got married too young to like the first person they kissed and kind of hate <laughs> their wives now and want an excuse to not be in the house for 11 hours a day. Um, but I think for people who have responsibilities at home or have like personal interests in the home, like the commute seems like nonsensical to me now. Totally. Like if I, if it's, you know, it's like, why do, why do I need to do this? Well, and also you know? what you realize too, is that, you know, there's no, no work project I've had since COVID that I haven't gotten done faster than I would have had I been in an office. And I think that I realized, like, I think offices are super inefficient and they're created because like employers have a very low opinion of their employees and think they have to be like constrained and, and watched in order to get done what they have to get done. And you know, I, I kind of thought that was never the case for me, but I just think people are, I mean, look, it's very different if you have kids at home and they're not going back to school right now. That's totally different. I am a single woman who was married and I just, and I'm lucky <laughs> I have space and I can do it. But for me, it has been, um, it has been enjoyable to not feel like everything had to be a big choice between, you know, being at the office 10 hours a day. Also, how much money was I spending on coffee? I mean, Jesus Christ, you guys. Yeah. That's, that's something that's like, how are, how are cities going to exist with the new framework? If people are not like walking by a coffee shop and spending like three or $4 on a cup of coffee. Am I the only one who's spending more coffee in pandemic? Because, <laughs> because I need like a little errand for myself to do. I need to like leave the house and do a task and spend oh, money to feel like a human the being. Stand. That's me. It's like, <laughs> that's me driving just to see if the watermelons have come out yet. And that was literally you writing my autobiography pre and post COVID as someone who's like never really worked in an office. I was like the whole idea. I do want to say I've said it for years. What is it, Aaron? It's everything is a Pain construct. The That's right. It's oh. a construct. <laughs> Pain in the ass and construct, though. can They can co-mingle. They can both co-mingle, coexist. Yes, totally, totally. Um, you know, one thing, Dana, that I was thinking about when it comes to, like, weddings, um, I feel like maybe during my heyday, and by heyday I mean, like, before I was, like, you know, in my mid thirties, when most of the people that I knew were getting married. Um, I think that like the whole 
like structure of the wedding was really getting out of hand. It would it was like metastasizing. It was uncontrolled growth. Like um I remember, you know, being a little kid and going to a wedding and that was what that was it. You went to the wedding and then there was a reception and everyone got yeah. you know, all the adults got drunk and then you went home. But like in my young adulthood, I witnessed it from like, okay, well now it's like you know, it's it's welcome drinks and then a goodbye brunch, but also the wedding, which fine, cool, normal. But then it became uh, it's the bachelorette weekend, which the, is I was about to say the bachelorette weekend as a minimum now is is wild to me. Yeah. I, like it's not a bachelorette party. It's a bachelorette weekend. And now all your friends have to go to a, another location where you're all going to to do like, I don't know, to pretend that penises are hilarious they are kind of funny but they're not funny as okay yeah they're weird looking listen hard who wants to look at them hard disagree on all of this hard disagree hard disagree number one you have to you have to say goodbye to your married friends in one long farewell in something that is their last hurrah because you'll never see them the same way again that's the first thing and number two i like the long wedding i like the long elaborate wedding because that's what fucking Indians do. It's like more is more is more is oh. more. And it's like one of the appropriations yeah. that I, what I actually think is hilarious is that in Indian weddings, there were never bridesmaids. And then they're like, let's add that too. We already have, they're like, <laughs> yeah, we like that. That's good. We'll put that in as well. Love, love, chef's kiss. Chef's kiss to all of it. <laughs> chef's kiss. I was mainly, I wasn't talking about like shrinking Indian weddings because Indian weddings look fun as hell and no notes. Um, I'm talking about like the expansion of expectations around like your friends and inner circle. Like you have to do the bachelorette weekend and a bridal shower weekend. And like I had one, I knew one woman who had a bachelorette weekend, a bridal shower, a like lingerie party and like a stock the bar party. What is so that? I don't mean? understand. What's a stock the bar party? A stock the bar party. Lingerie party was something that she was just doing with her bridesmaids. Bachelorette weekend was something that she did with like a bunch of girlfriends. Wedding shower was all the female relatives plus all the girlfriends. And stock the bar party is for people that were like both groups of both the bride and groom's friends at their house, bringing them like alcohol and wine to stock their bar. That's crazy. Like, that's what you're not allowed to do that. You're already getting it. You have a registry. Here's the thing. If you were having multiple events, it has to be about giving to other people, not about getting shit and free labor from the people coming to your stuff. Right. And so that's a big thing in Indian weddings is like it's like you're going to be getting a lot of stuff. Here's some free food. Here's some free alcohol. Here's some more food. Here's some more alcohol. Stay in this hotel. Sit by this river, whatever. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's like going to be have this picnic here. Look at this elephant. It's really fun here. Like, you know, here's some drums. Here's some Scottish men wearing kilts. That's really fun. Watch that while you drink more (laughs) liquor. You know, like you get a lot as a guest. This whole like, you know, you have to contribute a lot other than your time. What you're giving is your time. So you do the rest. Mm-hmm. Like this idea that you could use them as, no, I don't like that. No, no. Hard pass, hard pass, hard pass on that. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like because because everything has become more of a uh, production now that it's like, it's it went from being like, yeah, borderline too much to ask of people to definitely too much to ask of people. Like, Dana, have you have you noticed like a kind of expansion of the wedding industry? And like, are there decisions that you made to like cut down on some of the stuff that you considered uh, superfluous? 
Oh yeah. And, and like, I feel like I started this whole wedding process being like, I'm going to have something super chill and low key and just like fun and not spend a bunch of money. And then the complex just like slithers its fingers onto you and, and grips and the, you look at your budget and you're like, well, okay, well I have to have a photo booth. People are going to think that I'm a, a tacky bitch if I don't have a photo booth at my wedding and I have to have a welcome dinner for people who come from out of town. And then I have to have this bachelorette weekend. And then if I have bridesmaids, I have to pay for their hair and makeup. And it's like everything just like the, the wedding industry has, has figured it out that everything begets more things that you have to do. Uh, so the answer is yes, it has gotten out of control and no, I have not figured out the places that I, that I will, uh, not do the things because I'm like, all right, I have high school friends who are all over the country. And if I want to have a bachelorette party, then do I just like do it in LA and make them fly in for one evening and in, in, you know, one random Saturday night, it's like, it almost makes the bachelorette weekend seem reasonable. You talk yourself into it. You're like, well, it's just, everyone's coming. I'm getting married later. Not everyone's in my hometown. Oh my God. It's a, I'm rambling now, but it's a whole thing and I'm exhausted by it. <laughs> Dana, you, you're all of your calculations. There are exactly how I ended up getting married at the Supreme court. Like there was, I added Well, that's the coolest well, thing in the entire the court, world. Look, it was the court. It was the court until someone very nicely reminded me at the office that we had access to the Supreme court and maybe I didn't have to go to city hall in DC, but it was going to be city hall because I started adding it all up. Yeah. All of a sudden, my husband and I were at Miwa having our favorite Chinese meal. And we were writing our guest list down. And I looked over and I was like, when did you become Kim Kardashian? And he was like, yeah. this person begets this person and this person. I was like, no, this is crazy. Kids. Such a low key flex. Let's just say that. It's like, it's like, and every so often you'll be like the jam stand. And then it's like, oh, and then I got married at the Supreme Court and it's just chef's kiss to the flex. Thanks, Karen. I, I just <laughs> Everything I do, everything I do is to one day be Alyssa Mastermonica. Oh, same, same. Love. America's sweetheart. You too can get can get in good with the farm stand woman nancy if you're listening i fucking love you <laughs> i don't know if i could that sounds very impressive Taken. you I still haven't like, sent me jam oh kieran come over to my house and eat some jam i've got like four mastro jams at my house have a baby who only likes stone fruit and you get all the stone fruit jams <laughs> okay that's fair that's fair that's fair i can't take it away from a pregnant lady i was gonna be like ugh. Like I was going to take one of your jams, but now I was like, oh, of course I can't. You There's, guys. She's with you child. Guys, there will be hysteria <laughs> jams eventually for everybody once I'm done fulfilling all of my big orders here in town. <laughs> Another thing that I've that I've kind of noticed, I think that like a lot of things that millennials were in the process of killing, COVID went ahead and, and finished killing. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Like, you know, another thing I've been thinking a lot about is like home buying and home ownership and stuff. And Alyssa, you are a homeowner and you live yeah. in a place where like suddenly everything changed around like home buying. And how do you think that COVID impacted people's expectations about owning a home? And, um, and do you think that's for the better or for the worst? I think that a lot of people went and bought homes because they were like, 
we need we need a place where we can hunger down, you know? And then they did it. And now they're like, oh my God, this is so much fucking work. And so I expect that the housing market, that inventory will increase over the coming year when people are like, this was way too much. I mean, it is, uh, it is just the other night, our smoke alarm battery was low. So it went off at one in the morning. And do you know uh, how you, do you know how you change that you guys? You have to go out no. to the garage and get the ladder that only professionals should use. <laughs> Try to go up there and yank the batteries out. And then as your husband is screaming, God fucking damn it. <laughs> then the alarm company calls and is like, are you having a fire or emergency? We're like, yeah, it's emergency. Cause we're going to kill each other right now. Um, <laughs> But no, I think that uh, I think that there are a lot of things that seem sort of like romantic and idealized, like going and buying a house. And there's like a lot of look, there is there are a lot of good reasons to do it, but it is it is a lot of it is a lot of work. Yeah, I think that the flood of millennials to be like, okay, we need to buy a house now has really exposed just like how fucked up and weird the whole system of buying a house is like, uh, like credit scores being like in the entire determinant of whether or not you deserve to own property, uh, is pretty crazy. And I think a lot of people didn't really think about it because they didn't really need to think about it up until this point. Um, and like, I think that the idea that a lot of millennials have settled in urban areas where the cost of housing is fucking absurd has like drawn attention to the fact that like, oh, the housing inventory is really bad. Like maybe we should build more houses or maybe there should be some some sort of uh, penalty for people who buy houses and just flip them. Like in Canada right now, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is trying to put a moratorium on uh, foreign buyers of Canadian homes because it's so hard for Canadians to buy houses. Now, I don't think that that sort of a blanket, you know, I don't think what is good for Canada is always good for the U.S. I think sometimes it is. And I think a lot of times millennials didn't quite understand the extent to which the housing market was being manipulated and controlled by people who don't even care about living in the houses. There's also the exodus, like because people are leaving cities and then there's been, you know, housing markets and like Texas and Florida have exploded, you know, so the, you know, maybe you could have bought a house for cheap because the cost of living is different in different places. So if you're coming in from New York and you're like, oh my goodness, these houses in Florida are so cheap, then that makes the houses go up if enough people do that in that area. And it, it affects, you know, people in the area too. And like what they're able to get, I think Austin, Dallas, like all of those places, the, the markets have exploded and the prices, my aunt does real estate. And so she was saying, Oh yeah, the prices went up by like a hundred grand. Like a house went from three hundred to like four hundred grand just like in the time of COVID. And I was like, that's just wild. Like it's 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 wild. Airbnb's distortion of the housing market, I think, needs to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. I mean, Airbnb just began as a way for like individuals to like make extra money, like by renting out some like you know an extra bedroom they had, and it was like sort of a casual thing. And it became so institutionalized that people aren't renting or selling apartment buildings because they're just using them for Airbnbs and it's more profitable. And that's a really screwed up bubble that's ruining a lot of what should and could be livable cities. Isn't it amazing the way that like something has an intention and then something and then something else happens that's like so fucked up that you wouldn't have thought about because people's brains like work in that way, you know, like. 
I, it just always blows my mind that like you just, somebody goes into it and was like, oh, you can rent out your garage. And it's like, and now it changes the entire market and has this like tidal wave ripple effect on all this other shit right. you never would it's have It's like thought Mickey of. Mouse in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. He like starts out with the one <laughs> broom and then all of a sudden it is way out of hand. Um, these broom, these brooms are scary to little Aaron and she will run out of the room when the brooms get too scary. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's a total, like, un like, I feel like almost every little germ of an idea explodes into something like the ones that explode, explode into something that accomplishes the opposite of what the germ of the idea did. And sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes that's kind of funny. Like Airbnb is like, Oh, this is a way to like loosen up the hotel market and like make it more affordable and allow people to like integrate into the neighborhoods. But really what it's doing is like eliminating the character of neighborhoods by making it impossible for like the rental. It, it's, it's like removing the fluidity from the rental market. So there's like no inventory, but you know, it's sometimes is funny, like uh right to work laws and, uh, right-wing anti-vaxxing coming like up against each other is very funny. Like none of the politicians coming up with laws that would allow employers to fire their employees for no reason at all. And then like making that state law, none of them counted on a few years later, uh, anti-vaxxing being a Republican sort of belief. So now all these people, like if, if these people's bosses believe that they should be able to fire people just for not having vaccines, they can, and they have absolutely no recourse. Like that's, that's a funny outcome, you know, of, of right to work laws, uh, yeah. Airbnb thing, not so much funny. Um, I wanted to end the conversation by talking briefly about OnlyFans and the, in, uh, the interruption of the sex work industry. I know that none of us here have been personally involved in the sex work industry, but I think all of us have like care about feminist issues and care about people being safe. Um, so OnlyFans actually just announced that they were backpedaling on a previous announcement. The previous announcement was that OnlyFans was going to ban sexually explicit content from its website starting on October 1st. Um, and on... What did OnlyFans think they were for? Only friends, Dana. <laughs> Only friends. No sexual content. Yeah. So here's the thing. OnlyFans was actually a place that people um, that it was kind of it was relatively safe for women who wanted to engage in sex work and virtual sex work. It was a, it was a safe place for them to do it, to make money themselves without having to pay somebody else to facilitate their making money. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm not going to like step out of my lane and, and characterize it as across the board empowering or disempowering. But for people who needed it, it was like a great option. And uh, as soon as they they announced that they were going to cancel, um, they were going to not allow sex workers to be on OnlyFans anymore. People got pretty mad and then they reversed course. Um, Dana, I wonder what you think of this whole thing um i think i was very just confused fundamentally by like what only fans thought that they were as a business model <laughs> like what if they banned sex content like who else is on only fans is what i'm really curious about like were they like oh it's only fans to show your artwork like did they think they were patreon like what did they that's what i was confused about like what was the conversation at only fans headquarters um i think it it was sort of fundamentally heartbreaking because it did seem like OnlyFans was a, a, like you mentioned, like a safe space for sex workers to sort of be in control of their own destiny in that way. And 
it was this classic example of like shaming sex work when they fundamentally made OnlyFans profitable in the first place. So Tumblr, I sort of understood because it's like, oh, Tumblr was like always meant to be like a blogging platform for teens. Or that's like what Tumblr thought it was in its highest ideal. But I'm like, what did OnlyFans <laughs> ever think it was? Right. That's that's definitely true. But I think one thing, the outcry about the OnlyFans decision and that led to its reversal reminded me of like, oh, like sex work has also been changed by COVID. Like now it now that it can yeah. be done virtually now that it's normalized that, you know, sexual performance, sexual, sexually explicit content can be delivered virtually and people will pay for it. Like that feels like a positive, like a move in a positive direction for sex workers who are oftentimes, you know, they're they're a part of the population that is more victimized by physical violence than other parts of the population. And part of that is because. When they're in person with somebody, you know, you can't really control what that person does. So, like, I think that the porn industry was also disrupted by um, by COVID. And I think for the better. I hope for the better. I agree. I think it's more power in the hands of the individual and less at the hands of institutions that can exploit people. The Internet, you know, I, I hate when people say the Internet isn't real life because it is. But it does remove a physical barrier, like it, it creates a physical barrier to violence that that pervades against sex workers. So I think that the internet has been really right. helpful in that respect. I know people who bought their house and bought a house with the cash that they made off of OnlyFans or, you know, when work was like scarce or were able to pay all of their bills, you know, as like an alt form of uh, of income. That was that was really supplementary and helpful. So yeah, I saw actually that OnlyFans had initially made the decision because banks were making noise about not wanting to process payments made to sex workers, and it just yeah, it just seemed just very. I mean, it, it, it. banks, yes, those people, those people who have never patronized sex workers, the workers, <laughs> the people who are known for their morality and upstanding, the, the people who are not from movies like Wall Street. Right. I think like a million sex workers have done less harm to the world than 10 bankers. Honestly, a billion sex workers have done less harm to the world than 10 bankers. Um, but also, you know, I was thinking this is just a great example of like, you know, these are individuals who are commodifying their own bodies. And it's sort of like I feel like sometimes there's a real prudish resistance to women commodifying anything that male led organizations and institutions are used to being able to commodify like women are supposed to be able to be giving this stuff away for free. Oh, yeah. Like there is a, there's a poster in um, this, in the workspace that I go to. And there's a poster in the bathroom that said like the female led food revolution. And I was like, bitch, what do you mean? Like the entire world is the female led food revolution. You know, like women are the ones that cook. We're just expected to give it away for free. So the revolution is women commodifying something that we are expected to give away. It also feels like it's like when men get uncomfortable because then women themselves aren't the commodity, like a brand like Hooters, where it obviously is commodifying women's sexuality, but in a patriarchal male dominated business structure where it's like for the male gaze and men are profiting from it primarily. No men ever have a problem with that. Like men never have a problem with women as the object. They only ever have a problem when then it, they 
get the pesky reminder that women are actually people yeah. behind people the boobs. People behind the boobs. That's us. That is the people behind the boobs. Like the God, like the ones God has. Yes. <laughs> wow, Kieran, that was masterful. That was like Simone Biles stuck landing. Triple twisting, double flip. That was awesome. Um, On that note, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, Sanity Corner. Hey, Keurig coffee drinkers. Need a cold coffee with a bold flavor? Dunkin' Cold K-Cup pods were specially crafted for cold coffee. Brew over ice straight out of the Keurig coffee maker for smooth, delicious Dunkin' taste you know and love. Find your next Dunkin' Cold coffee in the roasted coffee aisle. Welcome back. We have almost reached the end of the show, but not quite. First, we have a little bit of housekeeping. Folks, this land is back. Thank goodness. Not a moment too soon. Rebecca Nagel is back with a brand new season of This Land. In this season, Rebecca takes you inside her year-long investigation into a series of custody battles over Native American children. Along the way, she discovers how the most powerful people on the far right are using this moment to quietly dismantle American Indian tribes and advance a conservative agenda. The first two episodes are out now. You can listen and subscribe to This Land wherever you get your podcasts. Highly recommended. Love, Rebecca. Love This Land. Super excited to hear the rest of season two. Okay, the house has been kept. Now let's move on to Sanity Corner. We've done two Sanity Corners in a row, Alyssa, haven't we? Feels good. It It feels good. It feels good. I think that like focusing on things that make us feel good, just like good practice in general. Um, I want to do something that I haven't done on Sanity Corner before. Uh, I want to yield my time uh, to you, Alyssa, because I'm looking at a kitten and I need to know everything about this kitten that you're holding. You guys, sometimes you just need a little joy. And we have never had a kitten. We always rescue the old cats um, and the sick cats and the sort of mangled cats. And so she's a little mangled too. Winky. We call her Wink because she's got one eye. Um, but she is adorable. And we have had her for like, 10 days now and we needed to introduce her slowly to everybody and you guys know that midge is my fucking queen and i was very nervous that midgey was going to accept young wink but when we sequestered wink in the upstairs bathroom midgey was waiting outside to give her head butts (laughs) and so we were like okay winky let's meet everybody else and so Norm is only three and everyone's like a little old for him. Like Petey and Midge are a little slow for him. So he and Wink have just been like tearing it up around the house and everybody, if they have time and money, they should rescue a kitty because there's also something to bring a little attention to. A lot of people got dogs and cats during COVID and then they had to go back to work and they sent them back to the shelters, which is like such a thing. And Anyway, we're lucky, though the inn's officially full, you guys. I mean, four cats is pretty much as, <laughs> as, as good as it gets here. But yeah, look at this. Winky, say goodbye. Okay, all right, bye. Bye, girl. See you later. She, she's like, no, stop holding me. I'm not a trophy. Um, but no, it's been um, it's been fun. And it's like, you know, it kind of gets you out of your... I was like, I'm not doing anything because I need to focus on integrating her into the family. And then like, it was actually pretty easy. Not good, not good. 
Um, she and Norm share a litter box and he like waits patiently for her to go. And then he, he like goes in after it's very cute. They're very cute. Who doesn't love a furry kitty? Hang on. My dog's barking in the background. He heard that you were talking about cats. He does love a kitty. He wants Eleanor to love him, but she just does not. So he like follows. She's tough. Yeah, she's tough. Uh, I wanted to put a plug in for, uh, if you're thinking of adopting a cat, um, (laughs) adopt an, I mean, a kitten is a great great to adopt if they're if they're available it's like yes. kitten season still i think right the tail end of kitten season yeah yeah um nonstop. i got a kitten and it was the best the best decision of the yeah. year kittens are adorable i also want to put in a plug for adopting an adult cat if you go to a shelter and they mostly have adults available um i got eleanor when she was two and you know i know a lot of people like maybe are hesitant to adopt a pet that's a grown-up because they're like oh, i'm not gonna get enough time with them or whatever Dude, I've had Eleanor for like 15 years, almost 15 years. And like Knock that is wood. that Knock is a wood. long time. They live a long time. If you take good care of them, they live a long time. Um, so, yeah, you know, adopt a pet, but don't be like closed minded about their age, because sometimes the right pet for you is a kitten and sometimes the right pet for you is an adult. Um, it's true. Sometimes the right cat for you has FIV, which Norm has. And sometimes your cat needs to have all her teeth out because she was abused like Midge. And you know what? They're the most fucked up fur family of all time. And they're the best, but it's true. We've always, the thing about older pets too, is that they're calmer. So a lot of times for a lot of people, older cats, like we got Petey when he was eight, uh, you know, and he was like super chill. Um, so I will come back to you for your real sanity corner since I just nominated the wink thing. Um, Kieran, do you want to go next? What's your sanity corner this week? I went to uh, Big Sur, which is like an outside place with an old high school friend of mine, which was awesome. My key is broken in my car. And so the automated car, it's broken. So when you open the car, it starts beeping. It'll beep, right? It beeps and it's like, ah, ah, ah. And it's like, if you go so too long, then it starts really like alarm beeping, like, ah, ah, and it's really feels embarrassing. And my friend made it into a game. She was like, oh, I'm going to see if I get two beeps. Can I get three beeps? And she made it, she huh. made it into this game. And now it's like, huh. I don't want to fix it. And it was like, she said this, <laughs> she said this phrase that I thought was really nice. She's like, oh, like, cause she has kids. And she was like, how can you bring a little magic to every moment? You know, and so and I thought about that when it was like with the car, because it went from being this thing that was like, oh, I'm embarrassed by this. And I just haven't had the time to fix it to like, oh, this is this is a hilarious, fun game. Yeah, I love that. Make a game or a song out of it. Pretend you're your own child. Pretend you're your own child. Add a little magic. Figure out how you can add a little magic to whatever is your day right now. That's that's great advice. Sanity Corner. That's my that's my friend in Vermont. <laughs> Dana, do you want to go next? <laughs> yeah, this is maybe not in fully in the spirit of Sanity Corner. I don't know, but it's advice mentally that has helped me a lot. I have found that I've gotten very distracted very easily with my phone and laptop when I'm watching TV and movies, and it just makes me feel anxious and overwhelmed. And I have started keeping my laptop in the office and not bringing it into the living room and keeping my phone in the other room when I watch TV and watch movies. And it keeps me very present. And I actually enjoy movies more and enjoy TV shows more. And it doesn't constantly feel like my brain is breaking. I need to, I need to do that. It's 
Yeah. It's just like I was doing it instinctually. Like I'd be watching a TV show that I wanted to watch and just be like reaching for my phone. And how long have you been doing it like this? Uh, A week. And, And success so far? You haven't felt like itchy, like you need to go get it? I'll say like when I take a bathroom break, I'll check my phone. But I pause the show. I pause the the movie. I try to to make it seem like I'm I'm really present. That's great. One screen at a time, right? Yeah, one screen at a time. I mean, who knows how long this will last? But I'm really trying. <laughs> That's all that you can do, really, is try. Um, Alyssa, what is your sanity corner this week? This is just a quick one. I had not uh, I had not watched it and I sat down and Dana, to your point, it required me putting my phone in the charger and being away. And I watched all of Never Have I Ever. And it was so fucking charming and so fun and also stressful. I mean, things that Davey did in high school, I like it hearkened me back to some bad decisions, but mostly it was the first show I've watched in a long time, start to finish in like two days. And it felt so good because it was so good. So Hmm. never have I ever. I haven't watched that yet. Kieran, have you watched it? You were nodding. I watched season one. I watched season one and I thought it was really great. Yeah, they did it. It's fun. It's a fun, great. It's fun. Yeah. John McEnroe narrates it, which is wild. It's so good. There's a love triangle. Like what, what do you... Yeah, it's good. It's good times. It's a good fun show. John McEnroe, the tennis guy, the guy, yeah. the, the guy yeah. who throws. He's the, the voice of Davy. The tennis fits. The, the yeah. tennis. Mr. Tennis fits himself. It's great. Wow. You know, on the app Calm, this is not a paid advertisement. On Calm, there is a calm sleep story where John McEnroe reads the rules of tennis, and I, I put it on, wow. but it was like too funny, and I couldn't sleep. But I was, it relaxed me because it was funny. I just pictured him like throwing a racket. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. That is all the time we have for Sanity Corner and all the time we have for this episode of Hysteria. Thank you, Dana Schwartz, for stopping by. Thank you, Kieran Deal. Kieran, I understand you have something going on. Touring. I'm going to be touring in all vaxxed and masked places. So DC, New York, Los Angeles, and Boston. Ooh, When is this? This September 24th to 26th is, is Boston, and then all the dates are on social. So- would love to see hysteria people because they're always the best when you get to see them in human person. Amazing. Truly, truly the best people. Amazing. Thank you for stopping by today. And I wish I were in one of those cities so I could go see you in a mask, but a scary one. Um, and thank you, <laughs> Alyssa, for being my ride or die as always. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. If you like what you've heard, please tell your friends and rate us and subscribe. There will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation Janet. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Malconian and Magic Root. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week.
Hey, Keurig coffee drinkers. Need a cold coffee with a bold flavor? Dunkin' Cold K-Cup pods were specially crafted for cold coffee. Brew over ice straight out of the Keurig coffee maker for smooth, delicious Dunkin' taste you know and love. Find your next Dunkin' Cold coffee in the roasted coffee aisle.